Welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hemmerker. In each episode, she'll talk with your favorite romantic suspense authors. They will take you behind the scenes of the writing process, giving excerpts from their writing, and share stories about their writing life. Hello, and welcome to The Romantic Side of Suspense. I'm your host, Sarah Hammerker, and I'm so glad you joined me. This episode, you're going to hear about this month's new releases in Christian Romantic Suspense. I hope you will enjoy hearing from your favorite Romantic Suspense authors as they talk about the background of their latest books. I'm talking with Carrie Fanchett Pagels now, and she's going to share about her recent release, Lilac Cottage. So welcome to my show, Carrie. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Sarah, and I want to congratulate you on your recent awards and finalist statuses because, especially with all those whole medallion awards, those are really just such an honor, so congratulations for everything oh, going on. Thank you so much. Yes, that's, that's always exciting. So readers, uh, listeners, you know that, you know, we kind of go fangirl on ourselves when we get nominated or, <laughs> or finaled in awards or even win. I mean, for me, just getting the, the final is just such a... Such an honor. So uh, we're going to now talk about Lilac Cottage and your heroine. We're going to start with her. Why did you pick her particular name, and what is her name? Well, first of all, there are, I'll just let you know, there are a few little spoiler alerts for, you know, my responses. But um, I love lilac, lilacs. I just love the flowers, and I, I love to be up on Mackinac Island, but I also love coffee. And I love Lucky Bean Coffee House, and there is a connection to my to the name here. Okay. Lucky Bean Coffee House on Mackinac Island. Uh, one summer, a few years ago, and I was going there all the time, there was this really sweet cashier who worked there who came, actually came to one of my book signings, and she surprised me, and her name was Rachel. She inspired me to start thinking, you know how, as an author, you start thinking of these what ifs. So yes. I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, what if this sweet Rachel didn't have any place to live because housing has really become a huge issue for work for workers to find on the island. And so mm. what if Rachel was oh, gasp, hiding out in her grandmother's cottage, her deceased grandmother's cottage, up on the West Bluff where these multi-million dollar Victorian homes sit on the cliffside. So that was my like what if, but the name was Rachel. And then I picked her last name, Dun- Dunmara, because in the language of the Scots, a, a similar word means murdered. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I, and just so you, just so the listeners know, we often do that. I'll see a cashier with a name. I'll ask them how they pronounce it. And sometimes I'll, you know, I don't always say because sometimes it kind of freaks people out. I'm going to put your name in a book, but I tuck. We always tuck those names away. Um, you know, because those are fun, fun yep. to have those little connections. But what, what a what a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful uh, story about her, about the heroine's name. So let's switch to your hero. What's what's holding him back from finding love in your story? My hero, Jack Welling, is a merchant marine engineer, and he'd been working aboard international ships, including during the pandemic, when he got caught, you know, moored out in the harbors. Remember when they couldn't come to mm. port and deliver stuff? Yeah. Well. By the way, my husband and a cousin uh, were both merchant mariners. My husband's a graduate of United States Merchant Marine Academy. And so he kind of inspired Jack a little bit. But um, those who go out to sea do need to have a home port. So my cousin actually is still, still active as a merchant mariner. He, he has 
homes, like, you know, in a couple places mm. around the world. So there's, again, the what if. What if you returned to port and you found your girlfriend had robbed you, cleaned you out? That's what happened mm. to Jack. Yeah. So he was devastated, really, more, this is kind of sad, but he was a little more devastated from the robbery than the breakup, you know, because he's gone all the time, but he was, he was hopeful. But it, and it wasn't like the girlfriend needed the stuff. You know, that was the other kind of, like, way to rub it in. She was a plus-size model, something I had fun putting in there, because too often we think of these models as, like, these uber-slim ladies, mm-hmm. but she, she was not. So because of his lady friend ripping him off, Jeff, Jack felt I said, Jeff, that's funny. My husband probably will get a kick out of that. Jack felt violated. <laughs> and he felt really violated, and he doesn't want that happening again. However, God has plans for him and is working on this new Christian's heart. Oh, lovely. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's switch to your villain, and feel free mm-hmm. to cloak the identity as best you can. Who or what does your villain in this story love the most? He loves revenge, and and when I typed my answers for this, I put it all in caps. <laughs> all in caps. This is what he loves. It's all he's lived and breathed for over the past decade in prison. That's what he loves. The okay. idea, the notion of revenge. Mm. And what about the story setting? You gave us a little glimpse talking about your heroine's name, but why this particular setting for this story? Uh, my Heart Belongs on Mackinac Island, and that's the title of one of my best-selling books. It's a Maggie Award winner. It was a Romantic Times top pick, but I also feel that way about this wonderful island that's that's in the eastern upper peninsula of Michigan where I grew up. I mean, so I work there mm. on the island. I have many stories set on the island or at the Straits of Mackinac. It's, um, this is book two in the Mackinac Cottages series. It's a, it's a sequel to Butterfly Cottage, also set at the Straits of Mackinac. That one won second place in the Sale Awards last year, so I was really mm. grateful for that. That's my, my first women's fiction after over 20 books that were Christian historical romance. So being contemporary has been interesting. I, I started switching, like, right before the pandemic. And mm. it's like, oh, whoa. You know, now we're, like, up front personal and right in front of me, you know, the pandemic. But um, I do work that into the stories. Uh, Mackinac Island, one other reason it's nice to have it there is because it's, I hate to say it's relatively, unto- or was relatively untouched by the pandemic, but it kind of was, mm. you know, it, it, it kind of was. Oh, yes, lovely. It's on my, it's on, it's one of my, uh, on one of my bucket lists, if I, if I have a bucket list for places to go well, in the United States. <sighs> it's. It's the, number, it's the number one vacation destination in the United States this year. Ooh, it is wow. the number one island on the, and for mainland USA. Huh. It's the number one island. So, yeah, it's, wow. it's up there. Yep. Yeah, you got to go. <laughs> yeah, one day, one day. So what was the hardest part of writing this book for you? Well, my tagline is Overcoming with God, and um, – this book is certainly a testament to rep- relying upon the Lord because I've had so many health challenges. I didn't know if I'd ever get this book written, much less edited and then formatted, mm. you know, and out to the readers. Um, my publisher, Barbara, didn't pick this one off, and so this was independently published. And so I did need to find, you know, an editor, Peg Thomas, stepped in, and she just really did a fantastic job of helping me out. So I would say my health 
it was it was very discouraging. I had some multiple and significant health challenges, mm. but the Lord must have wanted out because I've gotten really great feedback on. I think it has like a four point eight rating on Goodreads right now. So um, yeah, and over fifty ratings and um, reviews or whatever. So I'm really uh, grateful that people are being touched about by this story. Yeah, and so let's let's we're going to wrap it up with um, what's one thing you want readers to know about Lilac Cottage? Then this is my first novel where the main characters are all newbie Christians. So normally in Christian fiction we have a spiritual story arc, but mm. I felt led to write a story where the characters were evidencing some of the things that we first do and feel when we're walking with the Lord. Um, and I had one extra thing I wanted to say, but you know, as a former psychologist and a Christian, I I did want to convey in this novel that just because you extend grace and mercy, it doesn't let toxic people off the hook. And it doesn't mean you simply dismiss their actions. I I love to listen to audiobooks and I had a few Christian fiction really great books, you know, by great authors. But then I got to the end and they've got a story where they're like sweeping it under the rug or not addressing, you know, the, the consequences. So I did want to mm. show in the story, there's consequences for actions. You know, whether yeah. you're a narcissist who can't parent your kids or you're a murderer who won't repent, you know, there are consequences for your actions. And there is grace. That grace comes from God. And we can right. extend grace, but it doesn't mean, okay, it's all right. You can you get another chance to do this thing, you know, potentially to me mm. or my friends or my family. You don't, you know. That's right. a different thing altogether. Right. Well, well, thank you, Carrie, for being on my show and sharing about Lilac Cottage. Well, thanks so much for having me. Next, I'm delighted to be talking with Jody Bailey about her new book, Olympic Mountain Pursuit. So welcome to my show, Jody. Hi, thank you for having me. We're going to get started with your heroine and uh, her pet. So if she has a pet or could have a pet, what would it be? And please tell us the pet's name if she does have one. Um, Everly is in witness protection, so she really doesn't have a pet. But she used to be a veterinarian, and now she is studying for her doctorate in environmental sciences, and she works for the Department of Fish and Wildlife studying bears. So if she could theoretically have any animal for a pet, she would have a, a baby bear, which you should not do, but we're talking theoretically. And she would name yes. it, um, <laughs> probably would name it Mr. or Mrs. Ursa because she gave her daughter Amelia a, a teddy bear uh, when they first went to witness protection, and she named it Mr. Ursa. So she would probably name it after her daughter's teddy bear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a good idea to have a bear as baby bear as no, a pet. No, not as mama bears, but but you know, <laughs> since we're we're just pretending here, people. We're pretending. <laughs> yes, I do not go yeah. get a baby bear. No, no, please don't. So, so um, I love that. That's great. Well, um, let's switch to your hero. Um, and we know even manly men have fears. So, what is your hero's greatest fear? Uh, Jackson Dean is. He used to work for Witness Protection, and with the U.S. Marshal Service, and he worked with the Witness Protection Service. And so, uh, he lost a witness, and Everly was one of his protective witnesses. And so, his biggest fear is losing someone that he cares about 
because of his own negligence. Now, he did not lose the witness. It was the witness's fault that, that they were killed, but mm-hmm. he took on the blame for it. And so his biggest fear is some inadequacy in him or some failure on his part will cause him to harm someone he cares about. Mm. So his guard is always up. Yes, yeah. When we take on responsibilities that aren't ours, that often happens. Yes, yes. <laughs> so um, let's that switch to your game. villain. Yeah, exactly. Um, what's your villain's favorite song or musical style? I would say her favorite song, she's one of these, she's kind of a very well put together, she's like a, um, she's kind of like, almost like a mafia kingpin, but she's female and she's very well put together and she's very aware of how she looks and she's very, you know, cultivated and mm-hmm. and uh, graceful. And so she kind of makes me think of that song, <laughs> you can laugh at me, um, that Queen song, Killer Queen where mm-hmm. so I think that would be her favorite song because she I can just see her taking that on as her persona you know that this is, <sighs> this is who I am I'm mysterious and dangerous and beautiful and all these things oh I love so that that's, kind of what oh, she that's great yeah so if your story is set in a real place um and our stories often are but we have to change them because you know we need we need the setting to do what we wanted to do <laughs> for our heroes <laughs> yeah. And heroines, uh, so if it's in a real place, what's one thing you changed about that to make it fit your story? This book is actually part of the Pacific uh, Mountain Canine Unit story, Pacific Northwest Canine Unit Mm. series. And so it is set, and I am going to butcher the name of this river. I tried to learn it, and I still can't do it. I think it's the Kino River, Q-U-I-N-A-U-L-T. And it's in the Enchanted Forest area. And so what I had to do, I wanted her to jump off a bridge into the river. And so the river is is where she's at in the Enchanted Forest. It's not very wide and not very deep. So I had, I worked with the author of the book before mine to have some flooding rains come through that would have the river running exceptionally high through this one narrow spot um, where she's at, so at the Pony River Bridge. And so I kind of took a little liberty there of making this small river into a bigger river that she would actually be able to jump into and survive <laughs> without, you know, right. destroying her legs or shattering her hips or something. So I did do that. But um, but it was challenging to keep it real. Uh, usually mm. I kind of take a real place and bend it to my own will. But, you know, I kind of had to stay true to it this time. But I did... I did put some rain, big rains in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, because you don't want her jumping off into, you know, shallow water, and yeah. that would not be good. Shattering a pelvis yeah. would be really yeah, bad. Yeah, 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 not not, not good for in your running for quickly. her life. Yeah, right. <laughs> the bad guys find her because she can't move. <laughs> yep. yep. So uh, let's switch to um, what is the underlying positive message of Olympic Mountain Pursuit? I think uh, it's that God cares for us, even when we don't realize he's caring for us. And uh, Everly, her hus- she witnessed her husband's murder. And so that's why she's in witness protection. And she's learning to kind of live again and trust God again. And so the verse that really kind of kept coming to my mind for her, and this would be the, the message of the story, would be Isaiah 61.3. And, and I liked it in the contemporary English version because it says, mm-hmm. He sent me to give them flowers in place of their sorrow, olive oil in place of tears, and joyous praise in place of broken hearts. So mm. I really liked that for her. And I think God does that for us too when we surrender 
you know, our hurts to him, he is able to turn them around and use them for his good. Yes, yeah, that is, that's a lovely, that's a lovely thought to have. Thank you. Um, now we're going to close our short time together, Jody, with what's one thing you want readers to know about Olympic Mountain Pursuit? I think it kind of ties into that last question. Um, it's about finding joy after sorrow. When we're in the middle of sorrow, we feel like we're never going to get out of it, and it's going to crush us. But there is, if we can just keep walking, we'll find that joy on the other side and that life on the other side because God is joy and love. And so I'm, I'm, I, I'm praying, I pray through all, you know, with all my books for the readers that somebody will find healing there in that. And, uh, and on the flip side, uh, on the, like, other side of that, <laughs> um, it's right. book four of a really great series that, uh, <clears throat> that I was able to work on with some of y'all's favorite love-inspired authors. So uh, check out all the books. Yeah, that would be the two things. <laughs> okay, yeah, that, that's great. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your book on my show today. Thank you for having me. Now I'm going to talk with Danielle Grandinetti, and she's going to talk about her July release, Refuge for the Archaeologist. So welcome to my show, Danielle. Thanks for having me. So we're going to dive right in and start with your heroine because, you know, ladies first. Yeah. How does she <laughs> feel about love at the start of Refuge for the Archaeologist? So Cora Davis is an archaeologist. She is the archaeologist in the title. And she has come home to see her aunt um, after the 1930 earthquake or 1931 earthquake um, in Italy. It's one of the largest earthquakes. Um, that's a real, real historical event uh, to recover from what happened over there. She's got some amnesia, amnesia but a short-term amnesia. But her family history is such that she has no interest in getting married. She has no in need for men. She is secure in her career. That is what she wants as long as her health actually lets her go back to her career. But she has a weakness for cowboys. And of course, who is helping her aunt but a cowboy? Of course. So, of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue right into your hero. What's holding him yeah. back from finding love? This cowboy. So the reason there's a cowboy in the middle of Wisconsin is because he came back from working out west, which he loved, to take care of his family. Both his mother and his sister-in-law are widows. And he has got two little nieces. And in the 1930s, at the beginning of the Great Depression, the man of the house needed to come home and help take care of his family. He doubts he can find a woman who not only understands his responsibility to these women in his life, but also that would mean one more woman he has to take care of. So finding someone like that is off the table until somebody, you know, so why did you decide, so let's talk about your villain. Why did mm -hmm. you decide to switch to make him the villain? So the villain, this is a very complicated question, and the best answer I can come up with, um, so as I don't give anything away, is I wanted mm -hmm. to make the mystery side as um, hidden as possible so that hopefully there will be some nice twists and turns. That is That is probably the best answer I can give. Okay. So Fair we'll enough. see. We'll Fair see enough. if everyone agrees. 
Yeah. So let's talk about the the setting. I'm you said Wisconsin, mm-hmm. I believe. So why did yeah. you pick that as the setting for your story? The Refuge for the Archaeologist is book two in my Harvard and Crow's Nest series. And the uh, Crow's Nest is my fictional town built on the western shore of Lake Michigan. So it's a fishing town. Um, and so that the series is set there. But this particular book, bringing an archaeologist from um, across the ocean and then a cowboy from out west, to meet in a random little town on Lake Michigan was too much fun to pass up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet those are big changes for both of them. Mm-hmm. So let's let's switch to talk about this particular story. Why this story? What what about this story drew you as an as a writer? So this story really came out of Cora's story. Uh, Cora um, experienced health is experiencing health issues that she cannot there's no answer to um, after suffering from um, getting trapped in the earthquake and then what she can't remember um, and that caused her to have to come home and it might cost her career and some of the uh, symptoms that she has are um, ones that I also um, battle having chronic migraine so being able to explore some of those health-related conundrums and spiritual, like, you know, emotional and spiritual challenges um, really brought this story to life for me. Mm, Good. All right, well, our time is almost up, but let's leave our listeners with your book's tagline. Will uncovering the truth set them free or destroy what they hold most dear? Oh, mysterious. Well, thanks for being on my show, Danielle. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm with now with uh, Loretta Edson with Blue Ridge Mountain Escape. So, Loretta, welcome to my show. Thank you very much. I'm I'm happy to be here. Um, so we're going to talk about your heroine first, and since we are talking about romantic suspense, we get to talk about love. But how does she feel about love at the start of your story? Well, Haley Gordon is is my heroine, and she is very distraught at the moment when the story first starts. She's hurt, embarrassed, she's humiliated, and she feels betrayed because she found out that her so so-called boyfriend was actually married and um, uh, I thought I would just share with you a small clip from um, from a book that goes like this this had been the worst few days of Haley Gordon's life her boyfriend had been lying to her all along how had she missed the signs with the constant gifts and undivided attention every time he returned from his so-called business trips should have known their relationship was too good to be true so in the beginning of this story, um, she is not looking for love. She just wants to move mm-hmm. on with her life. So love actually finds her through the story. Ah, I love that. Love it when that happens. Uh, so <laughs> let's switch to your to your hero. And we all know that heroes sometimes have fears. So what is your hero's greatest fear? Well, Kendall Simpson is the hero. Um, he's a Forest Service firefighter. And uh, his biggest fear is 
escaping the fire. He had he rescues Haley uh, from a burning cabin and gets cut off from his teammate. So he's running through the forest with her, trying to keep her safe and get her out alive. And his biggest fear is the wildfires closing in on him, and he's not sure that he's actually going to make it. He also has some unresolved issues with his dad, and he fears that if the fire consumes him, that he'll never be able to tell his dad that he loves him. Mm. So that's kind of his biggest fear. Yeah. And so um, what about your villain? We know that villains can sometimes have redeeming qualities. So what's what's your villain's redeeming quality? Uh, I actually have three villains in this story. Uh, it's three escaped <laughs> convicts. Um, okay. But three escaped convicts, and as Haley and um, Kendall are running from this wildfire, they actually encounter the three escaped convicts. And Blake is... Haley's cousin who had been put in prison and uh, he comes off as crude and and resentful and hateful he's angry um, his he and Haley grew up together and um, his dad was an alcoholic which caused a lot of uh, dysfunction in the home so mm. he makes a lot of bad decisions after he grows up and ends up obviously in prison and when he encounters Haley, Haley is a Christian, even though she has all these, uh, the embarrassed feelings, the hurt feeling, all this from her love, mm-hmm. she still loves God. And she tries, she keeps questioning Blake as to why he makes the decisions and how God loves him. And throughout the story, it's not a pushy, pushy uh, story, um, but she, in different encounters, she'll make little comments and through the by the end of the story, Blake realizes that he's made a lot of mistakes and he eventually opens his heart and surrenders his life back to God before the authorities take him back to prison. Ah, yeah, that's a nice story arc. Um and so your book is set, obviously there's a wildfire and it's set in the I'm assuming the Blue Ridge Mountains since that's in the title. So what was the biggest challenge to to putting your book in this particular setting? I think there were probably a couple of um, challenges there. And one is um, not being repetitive while running through the forest. You know, Mm. how much much can you say (laughs) when you're in the forest all day and it's, you've got the constant surroundings. It's, it's the constant running, so not being repetitive. Um, the other challenge was also, you know, writing about the wildfire in this mountain setting and making sure that the behavior of the blaze was accurate. You know, like there's a, a fire whirl, which is like a fire tornado, uh, thunder and lightning inside the fire, and the way the fire mm-hmm. can hide inside the trunk of trees and burst into flames. Uh, at an unexpected time, uh, those those flames from the trees are called killer trees. So, trying to get everything accurate um, as well was challenging. And, and so, what drew you to this particular story? Why did you want to write about these characters in this setting? Well, I think probably because I have two, um, I have my son and my son-in-law both are city of Memphis firefighters. And so I hear the good and the bad um, mm. 
of their encounters in the fire. So I wanted to take firefighting to another level by having a, a wildfire firefighter um, and have him rescue a girl from a burning cabin. And then, you know, what could even be worse? Mm-hmm. They, escape, they encounter escaped convicts, which add another threat to their survival because the escaped convicts keep saying that they're going to kill them. So, mm-hmm. um so it was just it was a fun it was fun for me to write so um, I just thought that would be a, a good scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so um, we're going to close our little time talking about Blue Ridge Mountain Escape with what's one thing that you want readers to know about this book? Well, I get, I thought about that, and I think any time a person goes through a traumatic situation, their lives are affected either in a good way or a negative way. And in Blue Ridge Mountain Escape, Kendall, the Forest Service firefighter, and Haley Gordon um, stare at the possibility of death. They stare it right in the face. And my characters find love, forgiveness, and selflessness despite the fear and frustrations. Um, and so I want my readers to realize that regardless of what they go through in life, that God is always there and he hears their prayers and they can find um, peace. It's like the Bible says, peace that passes all understanding. Well, wonderful. Thank you for sharing about your book on my show, Loretta. Thank you for having me. I, I enjoyed being here. And now I'm talking with Robin Patchen. She's talking about her new July release, A Mountain Too Steep. So welcome to my show, Robin. Hi, thanks for having me. We're going to get started with your heroine. And what did she want to be in this story when she grew up? And did she become that person? You know, when she started out, Camilla is an artist. And uh, she loved to paint. She loved everything about art. But when she went to college, she studied um, graphic arts kind of because she wanted to do something practical. She never thought she'd get married. So she thought, well, I'm going to have to support myself. So she went into graphic arts. And actually, even though it wasn't what she wanted to be when she was a child, she really does. She does love it. So that's, so that's what she does. She does graphic arts. But then mm. she paints on the side for fun. Yes. Great. And let's let's switch to the man of the story. Where did okay. your hero grow up? So um, his name is Daniel, and he is the oldest of six boys. And they grew up on an old apple farm in Maine, the farmland, actually, that had sold off all the apples. But they grew up in a little, little farmhouse in sort of central, south-central Maine. Okay, and let's switch to the antagonist of our stories, which readers, you'll know him more like the villain, the villain of mm-hmm. the piece. Um, mm-hmm. So who or what does your villain love the most? And as I tell my um, authors, feel free to either say a pronoun, use the generic they program, pronoun if you want to cloak their identity. Okay. Well, it's, it's a he, and he doesn't love a whole lot. Um, he kind of loves power, and he did love his brother, at, um, but his brother's gone, and so that's kind of his his problem is that he loves mm. his brother, and um, 
the only thing that's keeping him going right now is the thought of avenging his brother's death. Oh, oh yeah. Sometimes we do go to dark places, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't we? Mm-hmm. So let's switch to something maybe a little brighter. What about your story setting? What what drew you to to that particular setting for a mountain too steep? You know, it's such a it's such a fun question, and I'm I'm actually thrilled to be able to talk about it. So I most of my stories take place in New England, uh, which is where I grew up, and this one actually takes place in Utah. And the reason is because this story, um, there's a car accident at the very beginning of this story, and that car accident actually happened to my son and my nephew, and mm. so um, it was such a a strange and unique experience. This this car, you know, I was in Oklahoma and we got this call that they'd been in an accident. They were being life-flighted to the hospital. So all of that was just sort of terrifying. And anyway, they both are fine. So once I got through it, I was like, I have to write about this someday. So that's why I, I put it there because I wanted the accident to be just as authentic as I could make it. So it's the same, basically the same accident, same hospital, same everything. Um, and it was it was interesting to relive it five years later uh, in story yeah. form. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. yeah. So, readers, if you're ever wondering, yes, sometimes we do take what happens to us <laughs> and we change it <laughs> into fictional form. We do, okay, yes. <laughs> just in case anyone was guessing, it does happen. It does um, happen so, yes. <laughs> let's switch to this particular story. Um, okay. What what was it about it? Um, that drew you to need to write it? Well, you know, it was the accident. I wanted to write about the accident. So then it was just a matter of finding a story to to go around. And I, honestly, I have, I don't know if people ever ask you, like, well, how, where do you get your ideas? I don't know where it comes from. I don't know um, why I came up with this idea. I can tell you that I loved the idea of having a story where, you know, a a heroine's child is fighting for his life. And I loved the idea of having the dad not there because that really ups the tension. And my husband was there when Jacob and Joshua were in their car accident. And, man, he was Mm. amazing. And so I just could picture this woman thinking, if only he were here. And so that was kind of the beginning, and then I had to figure out why he wasn't there and <laughs> all the other things, and I, I really don't know uh, where all that stuff came from. So, um, you know, I just, I don't know. I, I, it all started with the, with the car accident, honestly. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, all things lead to sometimes our opening scenes, so I can totally understand that. Exactly. Um, so let's close with um, what's one thing you want readers to know about A Mountain Too Steep? Oh, gosh. I want them to know that this is a story um, of faith. And it's not, I, I love, you know, so many stories show characters who don't have faith and grow in their faith as the story goes on. And I wanted to write this character as somebody who's like, yeah, I already know what it's like to depend on the Lord. And just mm. constantly witnessing to just showing this is how you do it. You're con- you know, this constant prayer. Even though terrible things happen, God doesn't always fix it right away. She immediately from the very beginning is on her knees. And I just love that idea. Uh, I mean, again, having lived it, that idea of, 
of saying, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. And she's just mm-hmm. in that spot all along. And I, I, I love that. I just think it's a good witness. No, I, I, I agree. And, you know, we're not always struggling all the time. Sometimes our faith is strong, and that is a beautiful thing to, to see. Yeah, and I think sometimes when, I mean, it's easy, it's easy to show, oh, you know, life is hard and she, she's questioning why. But you know what, in real life, I mean, I, I don't question why every time something terrible happens. I'm like, yeah, I know the Lord loves me, so I'm not going to ask that. It's kind of a dumb question because I'm human, so everybody else. And so I just really wanted to have a story where she's not doing that. She's not questioning her faith. She's not questioning the Lord's love. Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. just, she's just, it's just hard. Life is just hard. So yeah. anyway, that was kind of my, my takeaway from it. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Robin, for being on my show and sharing about a mountain too steep. Well, thank you so much for having me. Next, I have Nancy Mel, and she's going to talk about her new book, Cold Pursuit. So welcome to my show, Nancy. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're going to just get started right away with the heroine, my favorite. I love our heroines. <laughs> why, why did you decide to call your heroine the name you gave her? Well, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. And one of my very favorite characters uh, in the show is named River Song. And I just love that name so much, I decided to use the first name for my character. So she became River Ryland. And a few times in the book, I have somebody mention Doctor Who and River Song. But, of course, if my character had actually been named after after her, she would have been a child. So so instead, I explained the name as being given by her minister father, and he took the name from the River of Life in the Bible. Oh, yeah, very nice. But you got you got that reference <laughs> in anyway. Good for you. Yes. Thank <laughs> you, Ben. <laughs> so, um, so what is your hero's then greatest fear and cold pursuit? Well, I'm going to talk about River because uh, she's the one that struggles the most. She and her friend, Tony St. Clair, were both behavioral analysts for the FBI. And there was a dangerous serial killer that they profiled, and he lured them to the side of the Salt River in Arizona. Tony was shot four times trying to protect River, and she was placed inside an old chest and thrown into the water. This is how he killed other women. She almost died, and the experience caused her to have PTSD. So she suffers from nightmares. And the thing that she's most afraid of is finding herself back in that situation again. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I don't blame her. <laughs> I think well, I'd be a little afraid. <laughs> a little afraid, too. Yeah. <laughs> so your villain seems like a, a, quite the villain. Is there anything redeeming about your villain in this story? Well, there is. And I always try to write all my characters, even the bad guys, not just like cardboard My villain is damaged goods, and I think readers will have some compassion for him. He suffers from a disability called synthesthesia, and it's a condition that causes the senses to become confused. For example, a certain word might cause the person to smell an aroma or see a color. So our bad guy is also schizophrenic, so he's got a lot of problems. (laughs) But he feels he's different than other people, and he's really angry about it. 
He kills anyone he feels looks down on him. And at one point in the story, though, he spares the life of someone who was kind to him. So he has the ability to show compassion. And I really tried to create him in a way that makes him someone readers can relate to. Not that they would go out and kill anyone, but (laughs) that they can relate to his pain in his childhood. So sometimes I think... I think writers make their characters too one-sided. People are complex, and I try to remember that when I'm writing. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, now let's talk about the story setting. How, why, why was Cold Pursuit set where you put it? Well, I really like to pick places that I'm familiar with. When we lived in Kansas, I set my stories there. So when we decided to move to Missouri, which is where we are now, I used what I know about this area. We don't live in St. Louis, but we're close to it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of crime there. So it can be fodder for my books. I -hmm. couldn't do the same thing using small towns. Like in Murder, She Wrote, which I think about about when you think about small towns, Jessica Fletcher lived in a town called Cabot Cove. And the writers finally had to move her to New York City because they couldn't kill off the entire population. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, so what about the, how did, where did the idea for this story come about? What was the genesis for Cold Pursuit? It was actually seeing, uh, a friend of mine mentioned that condition, that sense of seizure, and that has actually got, got me to thinking about the villain, and I wondered how it would affect him, and the truth is the rest of the story came from that idea. Oh, yeah. One of those what ifs. I love those. <laughs> what if exactly? What yeah. if this happened? Yeah. So we're going to close close our time today, Nancy. With um, what's one thing that you want readers to know about Cold Pursuit? Well, I hope that it's an exciting story that will keep them turning the pages. But the most important thing to me is that at the beginning of the story, River Ryland starts as someone who's rejected God through her trials. And with the help of Tony, she finally finds her way home. Mm, I love those stories of redemption in our books. Well, thank you so much for for sharing um, on my show today. You bet. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Romantic Side of Suspense with Sarah Hammerker. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. You can sign up to receive notifications of upcoming podcasts and listen to previous editions at sarahhammakerfiction.com.